This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. anybody needs a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. We also have bottles of water for you if you'd like a bottle of water, some little refreshment, because we love you. I did not want to admit this because I kind of pride myself a little bit on the macro view of looking at things from a distance sometimes. I think sometimes I was talking to Pastor Sean last night, and I've talked to other of my pastoral brothers that teach the Bible regularly, and I think sometimes we can get so caught in the details of something that we forget to kind of look back and see like a bigger picture that's being a a tapestry, if you will. Um, So I I kind of have that approach in, in teaching the Bible. I like the the looking a little bit further, we can get into the details, and we have Bible college classes, and we have the midweek, and we're going to be going to home groups where we can even get into more detail, but, but I really like to take a step back. But, and, and, but with all that being said, I, I, that is kind of my disposition as far as it comes to teaching the Bible. Um, I got a little reminder this morning when I woke up that today is the one-year anniversary of the Kingdom Forsaken Kingdom series. We started the Gospel of Matthew a year ago today. So there's a lot of chapters. There was a lot of stuff that we went through. You can see over the past year how it's all connected together, especially this. I, I thought that it was comical because I didn't plan it this way, but we're going to be ending the Gospel of Matthew pretty close to election time. And it's really important for us to have the focus on the correct kingdom. Because you are all citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and if you place value into that, if you sow into that, that's what you're going to reap from. If you sow into the kingdoms of this earth, and I'm, I'm not, I don't even have to be specific, if you sow into any kingdom on this earth, because I've said it once, I'll say it again, every nation in the world thinks that they're the best. You think just because we live in America, we're the best? No, they all think they're the best, and they think you're the worst true story. But you know what? Nobody compares or even comes close to the glory of the kingdom of God and all that he has. I still get excited. We're going to look at it a little bit this morning, but I still get excited to think of the fact that he's preparing a place for you and for me. This world is not sufficient for us, there's going to be a place better that he's preparing. Turn with you, turn with me, turn with you and me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 25. The title of today's message is relational, relational, and the reason that it's relational is because we're going to look at three parables this morning. And each one of these parables, if there's one thing that we see that's similar, Jesus is communicating something to us, but but if there's something just under the surface that's similar in each one, it's the relational element of what's trying to be communicated in the parable. 
What we want to do with parables is we want to take away the main point. And each one of these parables has a main point, and each one is different, but each one is connected. So typically, you might go to a Sunday morning service, and the pastor would cover the chapter 25, the parable of the ten virgins. That's a big chunk. We're looking at almost 50 verses this morning. But again, macro, it's important to look at the three parables are given together right after each other at the same time because of what's trying to be communicated, and it's important for us to look at that this morning in that context of the entire chapter. I'm going to give you our three points of our three parables so that you can see and follow along with me as we go through it. Point number one with the ten virgin virgins is priorities. Now, that might not be the initial takeaway that you have when you look at the parable of the ten virgins, but, but in essence, it's what it really is. Five had their priorities right, and five had their priorities wrong. Number two, talents. And when it comes to talents, what, what I think of is stewardship, and when you have a stewardship, there's always going to be accountability. Accounting, accounting for, questions about how did you use the things that you were given. Accountability. Number three, sheep and goats. Humility and pride. And we're going to get into what that means as we get to the third parable. Did I pray already? No? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today and are confidently sitting here listening or in our living rooms or, or watching online, confidently receiving your word, knowing that as you sow your word into our hearts, that it will produce fruits. If we sow into who you are, our relationship with you, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we will reap life and life everlasting, life everlasting today. And God, we thank you for those promises that you give us. We thank you for these warnings also. And we ask that you would not only speak to us, but allow us to have the proper, correct application, and that we would be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Bless your people, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 25, first parable, the ten virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, let's pause there for a second because we need to look at a few things when we're talking about parables. Parables are there to communicate typically one point. It's an illustration. And this is the tendency that some people can have with parables. They break down the parable too, too much to, well, if this is this, then that's that, and this is what this means, and this is the mystical meaning behind what he's saying. No, listen, it's supposed to be simple. It's supposed to be clear, okay? So when he uses words like the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to, it's something that it's like. It's not something that is. So you can draw uh, some, some likenesses, similarities, but it doesn't mean that this is what it's going to be or this is what it is. Does that make sense? So there's no reason for us to get too into the details. What's being communicated is it's like or likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and, uh, and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, 
Notice with me, there's, for me, there's important words that catch my attention. What's the title of today's message? Anybody that was paying attention? Relational. Okay, so when you look at that verse that we just read, what relational word jumps out at you, if any? Do you see any? What's that? Like? Meat. Meat is very relational, isn't it? When you meet somebody, now the, the tone is being set in this parable, but for the next two as well, that there's a relational element. These ten virgins, they're destined to meet the bridegroom. Now let's not try to take it any further than that, but there's, there's going to be a connection to, and the, the bridegroom is going to respond to their absence in the end with a relational term as well. So keep that in mind and think about it as we go through the text. And, and also take note that God is a relational God. God created you to be relational people. We can joke about being introverts. It's, it's fun. You know, it's fine. There are some people that do prefer to be alone more than they prefer to be around other people. But, but you can't only be alone. God created you for relationship, primarily first and foremost with himself, but also with each other. Healthy relationship. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. The two groups are broken into two different categories by Jesus. He says there are some that are wise and there are some that are foolish. Here's the picture that's being painted. It's time to go for a purpose. They, they've been destined for. They, they're going to go to meet the bridegroom to escort him the rest of the way to the party, to the wedding. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. The foolish ones grabbed their lamps and said, let's go. And they left. The wise ones grabbed their lamps and said, uh, we'll need, we might, you know, it's possible that, that we, we might run out. Of, let's grab a vessel of oil as well. Intentionally, fulfilling the purpose that was destined for them, that was intended for them. Now, I think it's funny because I say it all the time. I don't know if people appreciate it, but you know the, the saying, you had one job to do. Like literally, like you had one job to do and you couldn't do the one thing. This is the perfect scenario of the one job to do, I told you so. All they're supposed to do is be ready for when the bridegroom comes and their priorities were not such that they needed to make sure that that happened. They were present. They were not involved. And sometimes I think believers or Christians can, can go to church on Sunday, maybe go to church on Wednesday, maybe just go twice a year, and they're present, and they think that their presence is what's required when it's their involvement that is more required. Throughout all of the Bible, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we take that and we look at this, we see that, that five took their lamps with no mention of oil, and five took their lamps intentionally bringing along a vessel of oil with them. This leads me to believe that, is it necessary to apply the spirit principle to the oil or not? I think that that's not the main point. I think the main point is segueing from chapter 24 into 25 to be ready. 
Nobody knows. We'll see in a second. Nobody knows the, time, the day or the hour the Son of Man comes. Be ready. That's the main point of this parable. And if Jesus is coming and the main point is to be ready, be prepared, then you better have your priorities in line if that's what you believe. Now, the presence in the parable of the oil being the Holy Spirit, we see there's the influence of the Spirit. And that's what we seek as believers and having a relationship with God. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. We know uh, Paul also speaks more of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, lust, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Pop quiz question, don't look at your Bible, look at me. All eyes. How many of the virgins fell asleep? Two? Five? Eight? All of them fell asleep. They all fell asleep. But Pastor Tim, if they're being influenced by the Holy Spirit, surely there's no more struggle with the flesh. Go read Romans chapter 7 and 8. Okay? There's always going to be a struggle with the flesh. But being influenced by the Holy Spirit and walking in the Holy Spirit will allow us not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know that sleep is always talked about in Scripture connected to the flesh. Awake, ye sleeper! Awake! What are you doing? Sleeping! I've gone through seasons of depression that I've shared with you guys before in the past. I've gone through seasons of depression where I would wake up in the morning and the first thing that I thought was, I can't wait till I can go back to sleep. I don't want to deal with the day. I don't want to go through. I don't want to make any choices. I don't want to make any decisions. Even the disciples that were closest to Jesus, next chapter, we're going to see chapter 27. Jesus says, come with me, come. Let's go up to the mountain. We're going to pray and, and stay awake and pray with me so that you do not enter into temptation. What happened? They all fell asleep. What are you guys doing sleeping? Come on, wake up. But, but Jesus understood because he's smart. What did he say? He said, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. So if we look at the, the, the five wise and the five foolish, we see that, that yeah, there's going to be struggle. There's going to be temptation of the flesh, and we're all going to go through that. But the ones who come through as wise were the ones that even though there's difficulty in the flesh, they were prepared for the coming. And that, that absolutely is a point in time in the future, but that has to do with today too. You know what I'm saying? You want the coming of the presence of God in your life today? Get ready for it then. And stop acting and living like he doesn't want to associate with you. Because he does. He wants you to be ready. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And at midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, so go out to meet him. Do we have another relational word there? What is it? 
Me. It was time. Now's the time. Like, we're waiting for this. It's time for you to meet the bridegroom. And hey, they prepared their torches. Hey, you're here now. Let's take you to your bride. It's going to be great. They met with him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, got their lamps in order, prepared them. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no lest there should be not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourself. I got to commend the wise virgins, you know, because sometimes we're tempted in other people's unpreparedness to, to give a little of something that, that they should have been ready for. No, you go, go buy some, but you better hurry. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him in, into the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. That's the, the most important descriptive relational word in our text this morning. I, I did not know you. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Let's put it back in the context of what's happening, okay? So, uh, the bridegroom is going to the wedding. He meets five virgins to welcome him and escort him the rest of the way. And guess what? Maybe he didn't get to know them very well, but he met them. Oh, you girls are going to the wedding. Let's go. And they get there, right? And then five other ladies come later, banging on the door. Let us in. And let, let's put it in this, just put, try to do this in your mind's eye. I don't know who you are. Like, why are you banging on my door? We're, the ceremony is about to start. The party started. I don't know who you are. Oh, we were with the other ones, but I know who they are. But who are you? You weren't there. You weren't ready. I don't know who you are. You see, it, it's so important for us to realize, and I know that I, I harp on this all the time, guys. I get it. I cannot get, I can't move away from it. The most important thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ, if I said it once, I've said it a million times, the most important thing, the most important verse, my favorite verse, John chapter 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that you would know the one true God. He wants you to know who he is. That is the reason Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Not so you could be happy, not so you could be healthy, not so you could be wealthy. It's so that you could understand the purpose for his creating you. It's so that you can know uh, in the image that you were created, not just now in, in mortality, but for all of eternity. I was driving down the road the other day and I was just thinking and, and I, I was listening to this song and I started to well up a little bit because my heart was starting to burst a little bit and, and all the craziness that's been happening and, and I just like was in that, you know, in the zone. I was in that moment just not wanting anything else in the world than to just, God, I just can't wait to really know who you are. Like, I know you now, but, but I look in a glass dimly, and I can only see part of what you're doing, but there's one day where I'm going to see as I'm seen, and I'm going to know you, the God of all eternity, for eternity. And that's what He wants for you. He knows you perfectly. He wants you to know Him. Our God is a relational God. 
who wants to engage you. Have you ever heard that before? Are you religious? It's not about religion, it's relationship. It's true, and you know it. God desires to engage us with relationship. God doesn't want you to check off the hour and a half that you gave him on Sunday morning because you went and sat down with a bunch of people that look like you that you like. And we don't like you, so go to a different church, you know? Like, there's churches for you kind of people. Watch, therefore, here's the point. Jesus is pretty clear, makes it simple. Watch, therefore, for you do not know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. You don't know. I, can I tell you something? I know, I know everything. I have all the answers to all of your questions. One of the things I do not know, I don't know when Jesus is coming. And if you are end times geared, like a lot of people are, that's great. And I, and I, and, and, and I want you to be in that place in a, in a healthy way. But listen, you can get so caught up in the end times that you, you miss out on something that God wants to do in your life today. Because it's all about then. And it's happening. You guys, you it's been the end times for 2,000 years. It is literally the end days. Like, it's the last chapter. And then we segue into the next story that is just that. So if it's the end times, you don't know the day. You're being exhorted to be ready. What are you doing now with what you got? Verse 14 for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Pause with me here for a moment because um, this was common practice in that time when a master would go on a long journey. He had faithful servants that he would give um, Something to them that was his that they could invest and, and his, his, he could make a profit. It was like an investment. And notice with me um, the intentionality of what was given. He gave and to, one, to, another, to one five, to another two, to, one, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Now, I don't know why it is that we look around at people around us and we see the talents that, we ha that they have and we either wish that we had those talents or we start to exercise our lives like we have those talents when your talent set, your gift set is different. It's been given to your ability. You know why I'm not a Fortune 500 CEO of a million dollar company? It's not in my gift set. I've got to take care of stinking sheep. That's my gift set. There's more on that later. But I love it because it's, I know what I'm supposed to do. It's, it's a fulfillment of my calling. Stop looking around at what other people have and wishing that you had it or placing yourself in a position to get something that you were never intended to have. Identify what God has given you so you can use it for his glory. 
And I'm going to say this again in a second, but I want to preface before we get more into this parable. Everything that you have in life was given to you by God. There's nothing that's yours. We have a tendency sometimes to receive things from God and act like they're ours. It's, it's, It's a privilege for you. Your marriage, your job, your children are all a gift they've been given. Do not hold on to them too tightly. That's not what they are intended for. They're intended to be a blessing to you, but make no mistake that they are his. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also, but he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he had received five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. There's four things that happen here. It's not just one. This is not just a singular response by the Lord. There's four things. First of all, this steward, this person, was seen by his master as somebody that he could be entrusted with. His treasure, his talent, the the masters. He he, he was somebody that could could receive the gift or the the thing that, that the master wanted to increase. Number two... The servant was good and faithful, so he receives more. You are faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. So he receives more, right, than what he originally got. And, and, the, and then I'll make you ruler over many things. And then fourth, enter into the joy of your Lord. There's, there's a, the relational element of not just stuff, which we can be focused on sometimes, the stewardship part of it, but there's, a, there's an invitation to enter into this place of joyfulness with the Lord in that close proximity, that, that relationship that he can have with his servants. This is something that's difficult to explain to people as a Christian. I don't know if, if you guys identify with this or not, but I remember what it was like before I was a believer, before I was walking with the Lord, and there was that gut-empty feeling of wanting satisfaction, wanting to be happy, wanting to have joy, but then it only lasting for a little bit. And everybody wants to be happy, right? Nobody's like, I just, I, I want to be miserable, and misery loves company. So you and me, we're going to stick together and just be miserable together. Well, if make, being miserable is what makes you happy, then... I don't know what to say. Nobody wants to be miserable. We want to to be joy. In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And I can't express how you know for yourself how, how joyful it is to be with the Lord and to know that you're fulfilling his purposes for your life and, and you're, you're knowing him and, and you've been given things as a steward and you're treating those things as a stewardship and, and connected to that is, is a joyfulness that people ask you, why are you always so happy? You know, my mom dying of cancer 
breast cancer over a series of years, toward the end, Diane, why are you so happy? Because I know whatever happens, she would abide in the joy of her Lord. She still struggled. We still had conversations. In fact, there was one point where, and it got back to me through somebody else who she went and told her, there was one point where she was laying in bed and I said, Mom, you know what I was talking about earlier, like wanting to, to behold the glory of God and, and be with Him? I said, Mom, I love my family very much, but if there was some way that I could trade places with you and go home, I would do it so that you could be here and, and I could leave here. Because it, it stinks a lot of the time. The joy of the Lord gives strength. He also, whom received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So we see similar, the same happens as far as the principle of reaping and sowing. They were faithful, they received more, and they enter into the joy. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Where's the relational descriptive word in that verse? And it switches. Now it's not so much the master, now it's the servant. And it's past tense. This is my perception of you. I knew you to be a man that... A hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. There's three things that we can identify about the third servant that I have for you this morning, if you can follow along. Number one, uh, points are on the screen. The third servant was lazy. He was lazy. There was zero effort to do anything. Like he didn't even take the one talent lose half and then bury the other half and say, I was scared because I lost half. He literally did nothing. He took it and he buried it because of a perception of, of who the master was. Number two, the third servant, he didn't even try. That's connected to the first point. He didn't even put any effort into using the talent whatsoever. And then the third, which is one of the most annoying for me because it's easy to identify this a mile away, he made excuses. You know, for those people, it's never their fault. Well, you're a hard man and you reap where you didn't sow and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you're talking to the master, bud. <laughs> like it's his stuff. He gave to you. And they're always making excuses. Lazy, 
no effort, and full of excuses. That's one of the things that frustrates me the most. Uh, most. I think that it's because it kind of goes against my personality, personally. You know, it's like when somebody starts spitting excuses at me, I just, I just want to just walk away. But I can't because I have a big mouth. <laughs> and I say, all I hear from you bah, 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 is excuse after excuse after excuse. Maybe it's just that you're lazy and you didn't even try. Now, as, as this pertains to us, I've always looked at these parables in the positive light. It's kind of also connected to my personality, you know? Like, if I read the parable of the talents, I am the guy with five talents and ends up getting 11. I just, I am, you know? Like, if I can identify it, let's go, you know, 11 talents. I want to win, It's difficult for me to identify with the person that has none because they didn't even lift a finger to give any effort. I'm like, but you had that. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. That's me, 11 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Guys, it's there. Why is it there? I don't know. God has made every provision for us to know who he is. He's given us gifts. He's given us talents. His desire is to engage. He's gone through great lengths. And at the end of the day, when somebody says, no, I am not engaging you in relationship. I am not going forward. I do not believe this. What else is he supposed to do? And there's some controversy about these, these types of verses and the, ne- the one in the next parable. Does the punishment fit the crime? I don't know. It's another thing. I've got the answers for every other question, but this is one of those ones that I have to stand up here and be honest. I don't know what eternity looks like, and neither do you. You cannot separate yourself from linear time-space continuum. You can't no matter what you do. So for anybody to have any kind of conversation and to explain to you what it's going to be like to live forever in eternity in heaven and what it's going to be like for those who go to hell, they have no clue what they're talking about. And the, the theologians in their ivory towers can be talking all day and all night long about how it could be a season, it could be for an appointed time, it could be, I don't know! But the point of the parable, can you turn me down for a little bit? The point of the parable is to be ready and recognize the talents that you do have so that you can receive more. Again, I'm inclined to look at the positive. Why people choose to look at the the negative is beyond. It's over my head. So what, you want to be the lazy person? Is that what you're telling me? I'm not hurting your guys' ears, am I? I feel, oh man. What about this poor guy that he's, he's in outside, outer darkness now? I, I don't know what to tell you. He had a talent. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. 
And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Now, some people believe that this third parable isn't actually a parable because it's more of a, a, a directive, a definitive. Jesus is coming. He's going to sit on the throne. And at this point in time, it's before the like, crash course in eschatology, okay? It's, it's before the millennial reign. It's not the white throne judgment in Revelation that happens after the millennial reign. It's the people that have made it through the tribulation. All the nations and people that are left are going to be gathered to him on his throne in Jerusalem. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep are going to get to be with the shepherd. The goats get put outside of the city, okay? Does that kind of make sense? It's the literal fulfillment of the return of Jesus Christ and us partaking in his glory with him. Now, the difference in sheep and goats, uh, Jesus knew and everybody's known for a long time. I really appreciate that he used such a descriptive illustration. Sheep and goats are very different animals. They may seem like they're close to or similar. They're not. They're different. Sheep are stupid. They stink, and they bite, and they kill themselves easily. The shepherd needs to be tending them regularly, okay? The goats are fiercely independent, if you know anything about goats. Goats are disgusting. Male goats urinate on themselves because they like the smell of their own urine to set them aside from other male goats because... They're so fiercely independent. The goats say, I don't need you. I can figure this out and do this on my own. The sheep says, where's the shepherd? I need help. You know why the Bible uses sheep as an illustration for people so much? is because we have to get to the place where we realize, understand, and submit ourselves to the fact that we have to be dependent on the shepherd. We have to be dependent on the shepherd. The goats are not dependent. They're independent, and they want to do their own thing. Do you ever uh, wonder why the pentagram is also a, a, a symbol of uh, the head of a goat for sa- satanic worshipers? Or the head of the goat is, you know, at the front of their altars and a lot of the things that they do. Do you know why? It's a, it's, a, it's a smack in the face against God that we will do what we want to do. We are independent. We do not need you. We do not want you. And we reject your authority over us. That's what that's saying. And, and sheep have such a negative connotation, doesn't it? How many of you, somebody called you a sheep and you puffed your chest out? Yeah, I'm a sheep. Wait a minute. That's not supposed to be a good thing. It's happening a lot lately. Everybody's like, oh, you're the sheeple. You know, you guys are just sheepling to one, to the, le- to the right or to the left. You're sheeples. Well, I, I mean, it depends on who the shepherd is. Because if Jesus is my shepherd, then you better believe I'm a sheep. You better believe that I need to depend on him. You better believe that I need to press into his leading, his guidance, and I don't want to separate myself. Goats are cute. Everybody thinks they're all cute. Oh, look at the goat. And then these weird people doing goat yoga with the downward dog, and there's a goat on top of them. The, the goat is displaying his authority over you. It's not cute. Get off me, goat. 
A goat does what it's want. Oh, you're doing a funny thing on the ground? I'm going to step all over you. And people are like, oh, it's so cute. It's not cute. This, I just saw this video last week. This lady is like, I wanted to see what my goats would do when I acted like I fainted and, and I was dead. She's like, ah, I fell on the ground. The goat started eating her boot. Is that the kind of pet you want? You're dead and it starts eating your clothes off? Well, I guess I'm not going to need this anymore. No. You need to be a sheep. Even if the negative connotation is you're not in control, you can't be independent, you are not the one that gets to make the, 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 the decisions, the choices. Praise the Lord. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't want to do things my own way anymore. You know, I had to pray that prayer the first year after I got saved. I had to pray that prayer every single day. Because my life was driven on a daily basis by what I wanted. And what I wanted out of life. And what I wanted to do. And what I was going to get. And how I was going to succeed. And then every day I had to pray, God, I... I, what I want is not the best for me. And I know that what you have for me is always going to be the best. My dependency is on you. It's not in my own capacity. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. If you are a believer, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will care for and take care of others. It's, it's got to be ingrained in you. It's, it's a byproduct of, of being the temple housing the Holy Spirit. If you say that you're a Christian and you don't care about anybody else, you know, I was talking to my, to, to my buddy right after 9-11 and everybody was all getting really upset and riled up and joining the military and going to war and stuff. And, and he's like, they need to just drop a nuke on the Middle East and blow them all up. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Are you serious? Those are people. How about you become a missionary and go preach the gospel to them, tough guy? No, listen, we have to care. And, and it intrinsically will show through our lives as believers, and we will care for others. Verse 41, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I do have to take note that the, the hellfire was not created for people. It was created for the devil and his angels. And since, you know, the goat head of Satanism it represents their independence away from God, if you want to be identified with Satan, then you can go spend some time with him. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer also, they will answer him saying, 
Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. What does that verse look like, verse 46? I don't know. I already told you that. I don't know. But what I do know is I want to find myself on one side rather than the other. It's on dependence, not independence. That's where we have to be. Something that's really interesting, you know, when things get hard, like over the last six months, things have have gotten tough, but when things get really hard, the true character of a person comes to the surface. It's like a furnace, and then you see who they really are. I remember walking through a couple times now the Holocaust Museum in Israel commemorating all of the people, not only that were the, the, remembering the ones that lost their lives, but commemorating the people that, that stepped up to save as many lives as they could before they were imprisoned or killed themselves. This is the kind of picture that I get that's being described here. Two types of people. In, in severe persecution and difficulty, there's people that self-preservation is the most important thing to them. Me and my family, I've got guns. I'll do whatever is necessary to take care of business. Versus the other, the other side is, yeah, I want to make sure that I'm wise and take care of myself, but how can I be helping other people in the process as well? Closing is our, is our points that I want to go over with you one more time just for the sake of memory, repetition, and application. Number one, the ten virgins, their priorities. And the, my question is a difficult one. What things do you give preference to because you think they're more important than Jesus is coming? And that, that hits different for me. It, it, it even hurts me a little bit. What priorities do I have in my life that are above the second coming of Jesus Christ? Wow, that's too much. That's too hard. I do have some things, but really if I'm living my life in light of the fact that he is coming and that I need to be ready lamp and oil, and I have a stewardship, the stuff that he's given me, and that I'm a sheep that's dependent on him, right? I'll live differently. You'll live differently. Take that list of priorities. Well, this is more important and and replace it with the fact that he is coming and how am I preparing, using, and living for that day? Number two, the talents, accountability, What are you doing with what God has gifted you with? Do you believe they are His and not yours? I mean, it's so simple. I don't have to even say anything more about that, should I? You've been given. You know it. You've been given something. Are you using it? Remember, the lazy steward. Lazy, didn't even try. Made excuses. Number three, sheep and goats. Sheep embody humility. Goats embody pride. Are you more independent or do you depend on God for life and direction? I, guys, 
we can we can tend to ease over into the more independent category and when we do it's because that we really don't believe that what god has intended for us is truly good and purpose for our lives that i can do something better that i can figure it out and make it fit and make it work when we have to come to the conclusion at the end of the day that as as much as god's given me talents and he wants me to be joyful in those at the end of the day, he's given them to me. They're his. And all I have, all I can really do is humbly lay them back at his feet. Just like the crowns. You guys want to be victorious? I don't know about you. I've got 11 talents in heaven, okay? I'm going to get a big old fat stinking crown with diamonds and everything. You know what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to puff my chest out. No, I'm going to take it off my head and throw it at the feet of Jesus. Everything that I have is because of you, and there's no way that I would even be here if it weren't for you, and, I, and I'm dependent on you as your, your beloved stinky little sheep. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, your word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, that it's even to the piercing of bone and marrow the separating of bone and marrow you know what our what what needs to be addressed in our lives you know how to address it your word is faithful to meet us where we're at and god we pray that we would be your sheeple your people who are dependent on you who are submitted to you who are not taking things into our own hands because we think we know better or we just want something because of the lust of our flesh and though at times we may hit the snooze button or bob our heads and fall asleep god you are faithful to meet us and god i pray for your church that you would empower them with your Holy Spirit and that they would go out this week and they would love in your name like never before. The gifts that you've given us, all the stuff, our time, we thank you for. We give it back, lay it at your feet. And thank you for inviting us into your presence, a place of pure joy. In Jesus' name, amen.